There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Welcome to the last grill of 2019. Dare we say it, the last grill of the, of the decade, no less. Uh, not just the season, not just the year, but the decade. Uh, might be a talking point for us in all things sport between now and the close of play at nine o'clock. Uh, during those three hours, uh, we've got nearly kick-off in the Premier League underway at the moment. Three games kicking off at seven o'clock. Team news to follow. 8.30 sees two kickoffs in the Premier League. Uh, and your late one this evening, Burnley against Man United. That one's off at 11.45 this evening. Uh, for cricket fans out there we've got England against South Africa uh, still playing at the moment. New Zealand against Australia. Stumps report for you. Uh, we have got the Gallagher Premiership, the Guinness Pro 14 and the Top 14 as well for rugby fans out there. Uh, there are plenty of footballers in town for a big conference and of course an awards ceremony tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's uh, sports special. It is the end of the year. It's the end of 2019 and we've got a dream team on board to talk you through the next three hours and reflect on the the year and the decade that was. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. Mr Chris McCarty and Mr Mark Archer are the chosen few uh, to join us live here on the show as our official grill panellists. We'll have plenty of special guests as well joining us throughout proceedings, giving us their thoughts and opinions. So make sure that you make your way down and mosey on down uh, to uh, Barasti where the game is always on. Uh, Chris McCarty, uh, welcome back to you. Thanks for thanks for jetting in for this one, fella. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. Very good Never evening. let it be said that you let the team down, that's I for sure. I never do. You know me, I'm an eager beast. You've travelled four and a half thousand miles to be here. <laughs> is that what it is? It probably is something like that. You can hear it in the voice. Yeah, I landed at 6am this morning. I'll be jetting out at 2am <laughs> later this evening. I've got an old firm game to catch tomorrow back in Scotland. But yes, nice to be back. And before anyone thinks, has he really travelled back for the grill? Yes, yes I have. Exactly that. It's a special grill. It is. It's the end of the year, it's the, the end decade. of a decade. Uh, and this, uh, I must just, uh, a little bit of a sort of, you know, addendum to this one. You know, it, it, it's not for good for a carbon footprint that you've flown in from the <laughs> no. UK. He's flown in from... Uh, Switzerland. Switzerland, there we yeah. are. Okay, so let's uh, let's work up our carbon miles, shall we, for Not this cute. particular grill. Not great. If Greta's uh, listening, she won't be happy. But we will, uh, she's coming on later, so we'll <laughs> ask her. Uh, I think the boat's just arrived. Uh, we will, of course, getting more uh, from the boys in just a few moments' time. Quick one, though, for you. Um, I'm looking at uh, my sort of rundown here. It's pretty sparse, you know. Uh, it's great for Premier League fans. Yeah, it's brilliant. great for, in fact, it's great for UK sports fans. You've got yeah. all sorts going on on Boxing Day. Uh, now, of course, that Saturday falls in. We haven't got long to look forward until uh, New Year's Eve and a bit the hours. And then, of course, New Year's Day, a bit more hours and a bit more as well going on as well. Uh, but uh, other than down under where you've got a festive sporting agenda, there's not much else around the world, is Zero. there? Zero. It's the festive period. It means an awful lot of people take time off. In the US, you've got what? NBA. They play Christmas Day. NBA, NFL, NFL tomorrow. NFL tomorrow. But there's no boxing to speak of. There's no rugby, rugby going on rugby. this time of year. Over in, only in the northern and the UK, exactly. So no motor racing, no motor racing. No Formula tennis. One's done. Tennis done until what next week? Golf. First week. Golf. No, none. No, quiet period. I can tell you, Tom, that if you're a cricket fan, I've been up since six o'clock this morning watching Test cricket. Yeah. Back to back. Yeah. Down under at the MCG, the iconic Boxing Day Test, and then switching over to uh, Centurion to watch England uh, battle away against South Africa. So if you're a cricket purist, you love if you love your Test cricket. Been a great time of year to sit on the couch. And time is no barrier. Yeah, food and drink, and uh, must be loving the festive that. seasons. Yeah, she's gone shopping. <laughs> well, for With your credit hours. card, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so we've got that to talk about. We've also got, of course, uh, all things. Hang on, let's just break away from that because. Yeah, let's head on down to the Amex. It is Brighton against Bournemouth. It is your early kickoff in the English Premier League. Graham Potter's blue and white army, as they say, down in those parts. They are taking on a Bournemouth side who, of course, a lot of people, a lot of plaudits have been heading in the direction of Eddie Howe over the last few years. I can tell you, though, that Aaron Moy, the Australian, formerly on the books of Man City, in fact, still is on the books. No, in fact, that's not the case. He was bought by Huddersfield in the end. It is he that has scored the Australian midfielder, and this goal is absolutely gorgeous. 
it's well worked down the left hand side it comes to Aaron Moy who breaks into the box late he takes a beautiful first touch on the chest his second touch is even better it's the one that drags it away from the defender I think it's uh, Chris Mepham the Welsh centre half it is and then he opens his body up passes it into the far corner Ramsdale's got no chance Brighton 2 Bournemouth 0 Brighton did score early on in this one they look as if they are headed for three points and it's a big three points as well because whilst they've performed well the performances aesthetically have certainly been there the results have not they were beaten on Boxing Day 2-1 by Tottenham Hotspur that was after they led 1-0 at half time they've got a 2-0 lead now that will move them on to 23 points but a breathing space to the bottom three and it's uh, I've got to say over the piece it's a three points that they'll thoroughly deserve 79 minutes on the clock is it 79? Yep. I think it is 79 minutes it's Brighton 2 Bournemouth 0 no. uh, now as I said last grill of the year uh, I love a sporting montage me. I am a st- I, I, I'm a sucker for a sporting montage uh, it used to be my favourite day of the year New Year's Eve never went out just stayed in and watched all the reviews of the year especially like the sports Robbie ones uh, BBC Sports Personality of the Year highlight of the year for me it's up in Aberdeen Sp- I know exactly well. yeah yeah, Gary Lineker dropped the ball, though, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. messed it up, didn't oh, he? Oh, he did. Ben Stokes, you've won already the big biggest prize of the night. No, you haven't. Voting's got another <laughs> hour to go, Gary. What are you saying? But yeah, Ben Stokes was named BBC Sports Personality of the Year. No real surprise. But yeah, up in my neck of the woods. And apparently the show, other than Gary's gaff, went down absolutely brilliantly. No, it was good, good to see it uh, being spread wide and far across the UK. And Dodie Weir as well. It was yeah. emotional when yeah. he gave his speech, of course, Dory Weir, former Scotland rugby superstar, a, a man who is battling mot- uh, motor neuron disease, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house when mm. he stood up to deliver his kind of speech on the night. But uh, another great evening. It's a celebration of sport across the year, of course, as we well know. And, yeah, of course, we wish Dory all the very best in his continued battle against that, yeah. that disease. Yeah, listen to a, a fascinating podcast about Dodi uh, in the run-up to Christmas as well, and just how quickly that the illness is sort of taking hold of him and his life and uh, what he is able to do and what he's not able to do but the fact that he is that sort of fighting spirit and he's, he's, he's relating quite a lot to that rugby spirit as oh, well he, he is you know Emma a, a former uh, colleague of ours she I know has, has hosted a couple of events over in the UK and, and she comes away with it just amazed that still smiling still battling on still raising awareness still raising money and I, I think the thing that has blown her away even more so not just Dory and his family and their bravery through it courage through at all it's the support you know every time she's rocking up at these events there are some A-list fellows yeah. and, and, and gals who have travelled the length and breadth of the country to, to fly up to Scotland to lend their support to the cause and that's testament to him it's testament to the cause and, and all of those individuals those volunteers that are putting you know their time and effort into this because it is as we know it's there's no cure to this disease and, and Dory will be taken from us too soon but he continues to battle on manfully of course yeah as you said uh, we will of course uh, keep an eye on uh, on Doddy Weir and his uh, his condition, uh, and of course the extraordinary work that him and his foundation is doing. Millions raised now in the fight against that awful disease. Um, we uh, obviously charge you at the end of the year to look back at some of the big sporting highlights of the year to ch- check your sports person of the year, be it sportsman, sportswoman, uh, or sports animal uh, for that matter. It doesn't have to be a person for that matter altogether. It could be uh, a beast uh, out there. Feel free to send in your suggestions but also given the fact that uh, we are approaching the end of the decade Arch thought it might be wise uh, to tell us about five minutes before the show <laughs> why don't we just do a review of the decade yeah Arch why don't we that'd be a good idea it's been it's been a great uh, decade for sports some big highlights some some memorable moments and some outstanding performances by individuals both male and female so let's put it out there I know we'll always do the review of the year and favourite sporting moments of the year but it is the end of the decade Tom three or four days away the show's almost been, been going a decade so we should remember these Look at like that. the yesterday yesterday yeah. yeah 2011 we started off here at the grill at Brasti and somehow we've survived uh, nine years so our sister station uh, Virgin Radio are doing the uh, top 500 hits of the last decade. Are they, really? uh, they are indeed. They're working oh, wow. through them at the moment. Uh, I'm very happy to say that Mark Archer has been working diligently over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. They took together the top 500 audio moments in sport <laughs> from the last decade. I haven't quite done that, Tom, but on the way in the taxi, on the way to Brasti, as our preparation uh, comes through, I have thought of some iconic sporting performances of the year that stand out for me but also sportsmen or sportswomen of the decade who have uh, who've made their mark 
I think, in their various uh, disciplines. And uh, I'd like to throw it out to the listeners, 4001, who is your sportsman or woman of the decade? And I'll, I'll get the ball started. And I mean, me and Chris started a, a vigorous debate a minute, 30 seconds before the show started about uh, who, who it could be. And he's got some thoughts. I think he's done a show on it already uh, during, during the last week or so. But I'm going to throw out there early doors, happy to be criticised, Usain Bolt. Albeit he's been uh, retired for a couple of years, though. But my thought is those, those gold medals he won as, in the 100, the 200, uh, four the 4x100 four four relays. Albeit he did start in, in, uh, in China in 2008. So we'll leave that to the last decade. But here, here's someone for me, the criteria is someone that transcends the sport, someone that's been terribly missed now he's retired, and someone that in his prime was pretty much undefeatable at his very best and he was so dominant for so long um, he's my first nomination for sportsman of the of, of, of the decade I'll throw it out there happy to be criticised either way with that top 10 most certainly I've got my doubts he makes top 5 for me but that's just me get your thoughts coming in on 4001 it is interesting isn't it because there are certain sports that immediately sort of jump to the top of the list uh, for, for, for the performance and just the fact that they get uh, more media it'd be interesting to see if there are any sort of uh, left weird just yeah, sort of well, curveball ideas out there of people that can throw in well, extraordinary achievements in I mean because you know you me both uh, National Hunt Horse Racing fans um, and although it doesn't get the sort of the media that a lot of other sports do you can't look past the achievements of people like Ruby Walsh and AP Mongoy within the last 10 years and the domination they've 100%. had in that race how many bronze they've broken together uh, in pursuit of that glory and the fact that they race pretty much 365 days a year uh, on occasion at uh, d- different race courses around the world so there's there's an example of a sport that yeah we don't talk a huge amount yeah. about but you've got to sort of consider the achievements that people like AP and Ruby have uh, done, not just in the last couple of years, but in the last decade. Uh, undoubtedly. Uh, and I've, I've jotted them down. We'll try and com- uh, compile a top ten. I'm going to sit here and say Usain Bolt does not get it, despite the fact Ruby Walsh and AP McCoy, fantastic, probably top ten. They ain't going to be no. number one. Tom Brady, I'll throw him into the mix as well, still doing his stuff at, what, 40, 41 years of age, quarterback for New England Patriots. I'll throw him in. Does he make number one? Probably not. But let's throw it out there. Of course, that's yeah. male. Females as well. We'd love to hear from you guys on 4001. It's the end of it's an end of an era. It's an end of a decade. So why not get involved and we'll have this debate as the show progresses. And obviously we need to throw in a couple of debatable ones that we know are going to really rile Mark Archer. Uh, uh, I think Ronnie O'Sullivan should be up there for <laughs> consideration for sure because <laughs> snooker is a premier sport in the world. Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson. <laughs> Maybe uh, Michael Van Gerwen, in all honesty. But for the last decade as well, we've got to throw the power in, haven't we? I mean, the power has uh, been a dominant force. power done? So as the power, I forget about the power. Sixteen-time world darts champion. How many has he won Six in the past? Six of them decade? must have been within the last Let decade. Check. Surely. Let me check. The He's only been the off power. the scene for the last four years. Fill the power. Michael Van Gerwen's broken through, of course. You've had Gary Anderson win two in that period as well, Tom. So I'd be a little reticent to say that. Yeah, looking at it, he's won two. 2010 and 2013. So he's won two of his 16 world championships. Okay, yeah. Crush him off. Uh, Maybe we top 500. Since, <laughs> since we're going down this route so early, we might as well throw in The Rock as well. Dwayne Johnson? Yeah. Nah, he was... Uh, the rock John was Cena? John, John Cena? Tell you what. <laughs> I'll pop him on my shortlist. Uh, right, we are. We need to... Uh, let's, get, let's give you a little food for thought because uh, one thing you can guarantee in recent years, and certainly the last decade, has seen uh, social media come to the fore in sport. Uh, viral sporting moments. Well, Premier League's thrown up a few uh, in the last 10 years. Here's a little package. Let's see how many you can identify and remember. They can get the right result today. If it'll work. But is this a job-threatening result? Mauricio Pochettino, considering the unrest at the club that we've seen over the last few weeks, his relative unhappiness. I don't know, I don't know if it's that. I think it's going to be down to him. I think it's how he reacts to this, how he gets his team, his, his changing room to react to this. This is a, a huge result, to be beaten at home. Well, Mills Henderson. Oi! It's all gone on. He'll be sent off. Well, this is, this is disgraceful. Gabriel needs to go because he, he tore in there to get the ball back from the veteran coach of Freiburg. No need to do it. 
chance it's been for the world's most expensive defender will lead Manchester United for the first time as captain this evening. Slavia Praha to the Group F. Group F for Slavia Praha. It's quite a challenging group, actually, for this uh, Czech team. Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Inter and uh, Slavia Praha. It's only ever this competition when we get situations like this. It's taken six and a half minutes, and that's not down to VAR. That's down to the substitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next round, yeah. Well, inevitable Balotelli-type celebrations. There you go, big smiles, jubilation. What a finish this is. There's the showstopper, that's what he can do. That's the ability, that's what he should be doing. The phone back, mate. There you are. And makes it 3-3! Incredible! But now the goal scorer has gone down into it, and the Karlsruhe players are furious. It's Rob Robert Zeeler, the goalkeeper who was claiming his innocence, has now been sent off. And that goal is the one which has seen the title, and how appetite a departing legend can score it. Perhaps the win at Celtic and the Glaswegian Coliseum erupts. Celtic have come from one down to lead in the 89th minute. Christopher Julian, the six foot five hero. Stad Rennes. Stad Rennes. Espanol. Espanol. So Espanol. Espanol. Don't worry, Ashley. It's okay. We've understood. Istanbul, Bacacchair. That's, that's yeah. the challenge, I know. Istanbul, Bacacchair. With an ankle injury, but as you can see, they're getting into it. They've got the moves down here on the south coast to welcome United. Oh, God, oh, God! from Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, well, ordinarily the game would be on, but uh, the full-time whistle has just gone in the early kickoff in the Premier League. Uh, Chris McCarty's been watching uh, this South Coast derby. Indeed it is, yeah. Down in the uh, Amex Stadium, it is Brighton against Bournemouth. Full-time has just blown, and I can tell you that Brighton have come away with the spoils. They have beaten their uh, close rivals, Bournemouth, by two goals to nil. What it does mean is Brighton move to 13th. In fact, they stay 13th in the table. They move on to 23 points. Bournemouth draw. Uh, they're on 20 points and Bournemouth just have to be a little careful for me because they are on the cusp of a bit of a relegation battle it was two goals Ali Reza Jahan Bakash the Iranian international it was he that gave Brighton the lead after just three minutes Neil Mopi was the man with the assist they had to wait all the way through until the 79th minute to really put gloss on this one it was Aaron Moy the Australian midfielder wonderful work from Leandro Trossard down the left hand side the Belgian his cross in Aaron Moy the chest is beautiful the second touch is even better and the finish well it was just the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake just bent it round the goalkeeper Ramsdale into the far post it was a wonderful goal it really was from a Brighton perspective it's a 2-0 win it just takes a little bit of pressure off Graham Potter because whilst Brighton have played some of the finest football in the league this season they really are pleasing on the eye they weren't picking up enough results for me Tom that has stopped the rot somewhat a big three points it's finished down on the south coast Brighton and Hove Albion 2 AFC Bournemouth 0.
They don't half come qu th quick and fast around this time of year, it's, do they? It's mental, is what I it had is. to double check because you know you've been doing the this Globe Soccer um, uh, uh, conference today, and I'm working with them tomorrow as well. And I was going through the script, we just had a script run through, and we were talking about um, uh, 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 a couple of uh, the teams that might be sort of recognised, etc. Um, and, and, and one of the sort of elements was um, obviously we've got representatives of, of all teams here, etc. And then a couple of the Premier League teams can't be with us because they're playing obviously tomorrow Today, and yet tomorrow yeah i was going hang on i was watching them last night what are you talking about it's insane so much so in fact it's not like me so i interviewed and we'll hear it later on the the ceo of the city group ferran soriano yeah. the man who of course was the mastermind of, of barcelona 2003 through 2008 he's been at manchester city for the last seven years i'm interviewing him i'm mid-flow as you as you are you're, you're interviewing the guy and you're like liverpool are Oh my goodness, I don't know if you won or lost or drew against Wolves last night. I've got no clue. You're a lot of points behind Liverpool, aren't you? And it wasn't until I finished the interview, I thought, because I was in transit last yeah, night, course, yeah. completely forgot this morning to check the result, to find out that Wolves beat them 3-2, yeah. game one of the games of the season. I just said you're a lot of points behind Liverpool. He didn't throw in the towel, but yeah, he kind of did nod in the direction of Liverpool to say, yeah, they've had an absolute blinding season thus far, and let's be frank, they're going to win the league, aren't they? Uh, we will hear from that interview in just a little while. In the meantime, there, Mark Archer uh, is chomping at the bit to tell us what's happening in the cricket. Is it still bad news for England? Well, I can tell you what, Tom, I think England, I'm giving them a little uh, hint of uh, hope here because they are 76. You are? 76 without loss. They have a mammoth task in their fourth innings. It's, of course, it's two Boxing Day test matches underway, one at the iconic Melbourne Cricket Ground and also at Centurion over in Pretoria where England are taking on South Africa. England have been pretty miserable. They were terrible in New Zealand in that test series just before Christmas. They went and regathered and are now probably favourites because South African cricket is in a bit of disarray at the moment. They've made lots of changes with their management and there's all sorts of issues going on there. They, they've got six debutants in this test match, yet... England going in as favourites, um, pretty disappointing so far, just to give you the rundown. Uh, South Africa batted first, 284, um, and they were dismissed earlier today for 272. England poor again with their batting, dismissed for 181. Vernon Philander in his last series uh, picked up four for 16. So England require 376 for victory. 376 for victory, give them no chance. But there's 80 without loss. And we've seen in the past here, this wicket can flatten out a bit. 80 without loss. Can they just? I just, I just got a, I've got a sneaky feeling here that this might be a really close uh, game. Even though you'd normally expect a target well over in excess of 300 to be almost impossible in the fourth innings of a test match. There's two full days remaining after today. Lots of time in the test match, so time's not a factor. The weather won't be a factor in, in Pretoria, and I just fancy England maybe to do something special. They've just overdue. There's some players there who are playing for their positions. That they've got everything kind of against them. If they've been sick, everyone's had the flu and the ill, and uh, Ben Stokes, his old man's been, been a bit ill in hospital, and there's lots of things to play for. 80 without loss, England, so it's uh, Rory Burns, 54 not out, known for his stodgy batting, 65 balls he's faced, and then uh, Dom Simley, under a bit of pressure, 21 not out, so opening wicket uh, stand of 80 without loss. There's 23 overs remaining today. Let's see where they're at over the next couple of hours. But I just give them, I just got a sneaky feeling in my water, Tom, that England maybe have a little chance in this match. You keep that's a sticky feeling in your water, all right? Because that, that, that doesn't need to... It might be the last uh, last show of the year, Arch, but no need for that. Last show okay. of the decade. Uh, okay, that may be, may be such. But um, a couple of talking points that I want to get your thoughts on on this particular match. I found it fascinating. Um, it's always horrible when your family flies out of the country and you're left with very little to do other than watch cricket sounds like my dream uh, brilliant uh, so but I, I've been taking a lot uh, because you like me uh, love our, our test cricket um, let's talk to talk about a couple of the issues the illnesses obviously well reported going into this match a number of the players were under uh, various illness clouds it struck during the match as well Joe Root uh, has taken very little part today he was on and off the field like a yo-yo he looked very very peaky as well so I was a little surprised that he was taking his position uh, in between wicketkeeper and first slip uh, Ben Stokes and Johnny Bairstow which suddenly got people going hang on 
Why has Bairstow got the gloves on again? Oh, guess what? Um, uh, our friend... Josh Butler. ...is not feeling very well either. So it's obviously playing an issue. Yeah, no, they've definitely got some, some, some sort of man flu going about there in the dressing room. And I guess once a test match gets underway, it's very hard to avoid it. You share a dressing room, you're out in team huddles, you're, 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 you can't sort of quarantine players during the test match. Yeah. And some players were sick in the build-up. You've only got so many players on tour. So if one of your fast bowlers or two of your fast bowlers go down, you can't call up someone from England who hasn't probably bowled a cricket ball in four months or five months so it's a hard situation to deal with so there is a bit of a, a bug or a virus going around the team they're doing their best to cope with it it shouldn't be used as an excuse though because you've got a man up and these you know, it's a test match and, and they've got to find a way to get it get it done but 80 without loss maybe they're just finding a way and you know Johnny Bairstow Joe Root it'd be interesting to see if they are still ill and that they may, maybe have to juggle the batting order around a bit to give some other guys who are the healthy guys out into the middle but two days to bat if they can get through the stumps maybe only losing one wicket Give him a little chance up there. Um, Jonathan Agnew called yesterday's batting collapse, England's batting collapse, uh, as very predictable. Uh, all too predictable, I think, was the phrase that he used. Uh, what was it, about 30 runs for the loss of seven, the last seven wickets, etc. Is that an issue for England? It's not the first time we've seen it, and I think many England fans like myself know it's certainly not going to be the last. I mean, top order batting for England has been in disarray for a number of years now. You know, we've talked about Alistair Cook going, we talked in the, early in the decade about Strauss going, they'd never really replaced Strauss at the top of the order Cook's gone, is the opening partnership right? Well Roy Burns has come in and done an okay job who's the number three? You know, who's, is it, should it be Joe Root? Should he be batting four? They keep moving the middle order around which has been a strength of England. Besto was out for the last series, now he's back in again they've given different guys a chance uh, Ollie Pope at Surrey's come in they just don't seem to know what their best batting lineup is, do they? They seem to be moving it around there, and not a lot of guys are given. We know that Ben Stokes at seven is world class. We know that Joss Butler and Johnny and Johnny Besto are class players. Should is there space for both of them in the team? You can have that debate. Or they're taking up the spot, an extra spot. It's going to be a problem for England. We saw in New Zealand where on on really flat wickets compared to what they've got in, in South Africa. New Zealand were playing old school sort of um, attritional cr- test cricket. And the England batsmen weren't prepared to go down that approach. Well, they couldn't survive that. And they were bowled out, uh, you know, in both those test matches, you know, in November, early December, relatively easily. So your top order batting for England is a major issue. What do you do now, halfway through winter? Well, there's not a lot of players in form in first-class cricket in England, are there? So they've got nowhere to go. So they've got to give the guys a chance, give them run the team, and hopefully they'll come through. But um, it's, a t- it's a tough place to go play cricket um, in South Africa this time of year. They'll go probably down to Cape Town, I think, for the second test match, which is always a great occasion, New Year's test in Cape Town. Lots of English fans will be going over there. And we've seen the same thing happening in Australia. Tough to go to Australia this time of the year and play test cricket. Tough to go to South Africa and play test cricket. Yeah, but if ever you wanted to go down to play test cricket, it's now at the moment with the... South African cricket board or, or cricket in general being in disarray you mentioned the number of debutants there uh, you mentioned the fact there is a whole new management structure in there and that leads me on to my next point the, the man that's done the damage for England is a man that has been around for donkey's years who's probably been a bit underestimated he is he's, he's got no pace whatsoever he bowls he bowls a wicket to wicket gets it to nibble a little bit um, and it's not like the England players haven't seen him because Vernon Philander has made his name in the county game and, and and he's also come out and says it's his last international series. He's going to retire. But, I mean, he took four for 16 in the first innings. He's almost unplayable. Bowls really well to left-handers. Just nips it off the seam and, and, and gets left-handers out. But Philander, what, what bowling figures, as you say, not, not an out-and-out paceman. He's got Rabada at the other end. He was overs, uh, two for four. Yeah, he bowled 14 overs, four for 16 with eight maidens at an economy rate of 1.1. So they're not getting him off the square. He's not giving them any free hits. So he just builds up pressure and allows the other batsmen, you know, the other bowlers to really attack from one end. And then the batsman, he forces the batsman into making errors. And he's, he's, he's been a phenomenal career. I think he's 34 years old. I'm not quite sure why he's retiring. Maybe he wants to go and play some... some, some, some Golf. Golf or some, 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 <laughs> some other forms of, you know, some franchise, franchise cricket maybe just to sort of... Uh, pad up his retirement days but um, yeah, he's been a great servant over the last couple of years um, for South Africa. Can I ask about an omission as well because we've seen the latest uh, auction for the IPL season uh, recently and one man who went for a good chunk of change was Chris Morris um, who has been a consistent player uh, for franchise cricket uh, the, the, the teams around the world but seems to get overlooked by South Africa. Any reason in that? Oh, Good question. Um, I, th- I think that the fact that he hasn't been available for test selection under certain times I think he probably suffers a little bit dare I say it via via the quota system um, of of picking players 
you know, said it. Yeah, well, it's just, just a fact, really, that they have to obviously pick so many players of colour or so many players of previously disadvantaged communities to, to be in the team, and he, he misses out in that fact. So he's he hasn't become a Colpack player, but he does play as an overseas player in county cricket, and then he plays plies his trade as a franchise player, which, which works for him. It's the modern way it is these days with cricket. Um, you know, we'd love to see A.B. de Villiers still playing test cricket, but he's burned out, he's not playing for South Africa. But massive changes there. That I think uh, Graham Smith has just come back into it as a director of cricket. Uh, Mark Bouch has come in the form. Wikibet is the, is the new coach. Yeah. He's brought some new coaches on board. Jacques Callis is there. Jacques Callis is the batting consultant. Uh, you know, the, we'll see them. Jobs for the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Who's there? Is it Charles Larnevelde or Lagerveld? Yeah, yep. And, um, and Graham Smith at the top of the tree. Graham Smith at the top of the yeah. tree. Um, so it's going to be an interesting, interesting time in South Africa. Langeveld, wasn't it? Langeveld, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So interesting um, test series for, for England. And, and you would have thought, again, some experienced players there, Broad and Anderson. Uh, interesting fact, um, Jimmy Anderson's 150th test match. Amazing. Phenomenal. 150th test match. I remember seeing him bowl 2003 World Cup in Cape Town. England, it must have been 1819, playing against Pakistan. He took a couple of wickets, looked like a heck of a player then in the ODI series. 2003 World Cup, he's still going, 2019 into 2020. Fast bowler. Been through a couple of hair changes, a couple of uh, hairstyles along that uh, time as well. Uh, Feel free to send in, well there's another name. Uh, would Jamie Anderson or uh, other cricketers, of course, we've seen a few come through in the last decade, uh, would they make it up to your sportsman, sportswoman or sports animal of the last decade? If you'd like to share your thoughts with us on that one, please do. Uh, when we come back, we'll have some team news. I think uh, it's fair to do that ahead of the 7 o'clock kickoffs. Uh, why? Because we've got three of them kicking off in the Premier League. Team news to follow. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Let's just give you a quick reminder of what's happened in the Premier League so far. Uh, why? Because it's one of those uh, stop-start days in the Premier League. Yet we've had an early kick-off. That one started at 4.30. It has now concluded. Chris? Yeah, it finished. Brighton and Hove Albion 2, AFC Bournemouth 0. Great result for Graham Potter's men. It was Ali Ressa, Jaban Kanish, the Iranian, who opened the scoring after just three minutes. Aaron Moy then, with about ten minutes to go, wrapped things up for Brighton, the Australian midfielder with a fine, fine finish. A big win that. That keeps Brighton 13th. What it does do though, it moves Bournemouth down to 16th. They're only two points above the relegation zone and crucially they've played two more than West Ham. I hate to remind you of this Tom, but West Ham currently 17th. They've played a game more than Aston Villa who are on 18 points. So if results go against Bournemouth today, they will be in the bottom three. And I've got a funny feeling, I do mean this, I fear for them a little. Bournemouth, I really do, they were a bit listless today against the Brighton Hove Albion side that we know play good football but they haven't been getting results in recent weeks, that's a big win for Graham Potters man, that takes them up to 23 points, one behind Burnley and yes would you believe it, one behind Arsenal, they have played however a game more. Let's get up to St James's Park now if we can. Uh, Newcastle against Everton is one of three games kicking off at 7 o'clock this evening. I talked there about the sort of stop-start nature of today. Uh, you don't have to wait long after that concludes. 8.30, got two more kickoffs, and then at 11.45 Chris is going to be kicking himself because he's got a plane to catch uh, around about half-time. I'm making my way downtown. <laughs> Tom, don't you worry about that. I've only got hand luggage as well. I'll be watching that game in its entirety <laughs> and then popping into the airport to catch my flight. <laughs> Good on you. Well planned indeed. Uh, Burnley against Man United will kick us off. But let's start with uh, Newcastle against Everton. OK, maybe not a tie to jump off the fixture list for you, but a lot at stake uh, for these two teams and for these two managers. Let's start with the Newcastle, the home manager, Steve Bruce, uh, who believes that uh, resilience is what is needed from his team and his squad over this tough period. Look, you think you've done it all in the Premier League, all of a sudden we've got Man U, Everton and Leicester in a short period of time. Difficult games, so we haven't done anything yet. We've given ourselves a nice platform, but we're only halfway there. So we've got to show the same resilience that we've in spirit, which we've showed over the last few months, and hopefully see where it takes us. In terms of the, the schedule, slight change today, but what are the plans over the, the Christmas days? I've, I've given the players off Christmas Day because we travel. We travel to Manchester on Christmas night, so um, I think that would be brutally unfair for me to bring them in in the morning and ask them to travel again at, at tea time. So um, they can enjoy um, their Christmas with their families. And, and uh, of course, then we're back to work, and uh, then we've got to try and recover to play on the 28th and, and the 1st, and 
It's ridiculous, the schedule, I have to say, but that's what it is. Christmas Christmas in the Premier League. I suppose when you get good results at the very against Palace at the weekend... Well, it helps. It helps. Like it helps, and we've it helps enormously. In, but now we've got three in a week again. So, you know, can we go and get a couple of results? That would be terrific and take us into the new year. And looking forward to the cup tie then. So, Steve Bruce, uh, pretty much echoing some of the sentiments or all the sentiments you'll be hearing from press conferences uh, on the show today managers not happy with the schedule but then again how often do we hear that at this time uh, of year yeah absolutely There's, listen I get it if I was a manager I would be saying the same thing I'd be singing from the same hymn sheet the only thing that I counter that with just a tad Tom is you cannot say that football is a squad game and continue to bleat on if it's a squad game a lot of these clubs have 23 man squad rotate and we're seeing a lot of managers do that this is a test of your squad this is looking on the bright side an opportunity for the kind of players on the fringes to stake a claim moving into the new year it's as simple as that if you're smart and you're cute with things and I get it listen I may be sounding as if I am very much a fan of the top six because the smaller clubs they've got kind of mouths to feed and I get that they've got a little smaller squads etc and they're fighting for their lives a little bit and perhaps this schedule does favour the bigger clubs but it is what it is you recruit sensibly you have big squads for a reason we know the Premier League is awash with money you invest it wisely you've got a squad so the man manager's job is rotate look at the fixtures we've seen that today Brighton rotated Graham Potter did it for Spurs he put out a stronger team today he's got the result that is what you have to do as a football manager that is what you're paid for so I love it as a as a fan and as a as a broadcaster I absolutely love it it means that we've got plenty to talk about over the festive period so I don't want to see any change does it Anyway, we'll get on to this. This is a good debating point. We'll talk about this after team news for you because we're sort of led into that. So what's Brucey done for us today? Yeah, I can tell you it's uh, a back three again. We saw it deployed against Manchester United on Boxing Day. It didn't work on that occasion at Old Trafford. Manchester United running out 4-1 winners. You may recall Newcastle took the lead in that one. It was individual errors from Newcastle that allowed Manchester United back into it. So if Steve Bruce can eradicate those issues, then they've got a good chance against, I won't say a rejuvenated Everton. Carlo Ancelotti, of course, won his first game in charge that 1-0 win at home to Burnley but it is a back three for Newcastle Martin Dubravka who had a couple of uncharacteristic errors in that yeah. defeat to Manchester United he retains his place in goals it's a back three Fabian Schaar Federico Fernandez, Florian Lejeune the Frenchman it's then a midfield five with two wing backs you've got uh, Yedlin on the right the American Yetro Velens the Dutchman on the left midfield three uh, Isaac Hayden John Joe Shelby and Almiron the little Paraguayan who the will look for to get something out of him because he's a fine little gem of a player just needs to get those pockets of space in behind the front two of Joe Linton the big money signing from Hoffenheim in the summer and the firm fans favourite he is back he's a local lad Andy Carroll restored to the starting 11 so a 3-5-2 for Steve Bruce's men they're at home to Everton and it's an Everton side that I've got to say that starting 11 excites me uh, that's what uh, has been going on uh, with the teams Newcastle against Everton Mark Archer also running the line for us with the away team and I'll say it twice Everton manager Carlo Ancelotti that's Everton once. manager NC. Carlo Ancelotti who would have thought and will he be there for seasons I doubt it but uh, he's made a couple of changes after, to the starting 11 after that 1-0 win against Burnley a few days ago five changes in total income Theo Walcock Leighton Baines uh, Michael Keane Tom Davies and Moyes Keane as well remember when uh, Dunk, big Duncan Ferguson put on Moyes Keane for about five minutes the other week and then yanked him off again yeah. uh, bizarre performance uh, or and explanation by Duncan Ferguson but he's now probably restored to doing team talks and throwing uh, China around at half time just to keep the players motivated but Carlo Ancelotti at Everton uh, and his starting lineup today is the England number one Jordan Pickford in goal back four Baines Holgate Keane and uh, Seabree at the back four midfield of Richarlson will play up the left but also get forward as much as possible Sigerson Davies and Theo Walcott up the right and of course Keane there playing up front with uh, young Calvert Lewis who's been in fine form in the last few weeks and uh, he is definitely a player to look out for in the future that's your uh, Everton starting 11 uh, So what you like about Ancelotti he's getting results at the moment yeah okay it was against Burnley it was at home uh, but he's getting results yeah. uh, and that's what he wanted to reflect on straight after that victory uh, yeah, it was 1-0 yeah, it wasn't the prettiest of game but it is 3 points for Everton um, he spoke after the game about the spirit within the team well, the performance, I think the spirit of the team was good today. 
we defended well. It was a special game with a lot of long balls, but uh, I think we, yeah, we defended well. And after that, uh, we try to do some combination in front. We 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 are we were a little bit um, slow from the back in the first half. We had more problem. We were not so efficient in the counter attack where we had opportunities. But so at the end, uh, the performance was good. Those are the thoughts then of Carlo Ancelotti talking about the spirit of Everton. Should we have a quick chat about Ancelotti? Because um, a decision... Yeah, <laughs> so what did you say, Let's Arch? be honest. I just said it twice. Everton manager. Say it three times. <laughs> Everton manager, Carlo Ancelotti. It, it okay, but are we doing insane. a disservice it quite... to Everton fans out there at the moment? Okay, they're no. not the biggest of clubs, but, but can I sort of take you up on this? A couple of months ago, at the beginning of this season, you, I think you'll have to put your hands up, were saying, oh, keep an eye on Everton this season. It's keep an a lot. Eye, yeah, I was excited Keep an eye on Everton, them. really excited. I think this might be the year that they're sort of not going to go top five, but I'm thinking top six or thereabouts yeah. where they should be. 100%. So if there is that, if there is that sort of belief there... There's if, money there. If there, yeah. is the, if there is the money behind them... On that basis, however, Tom, we're talking Carlo Angelotti. We're talking a man who has managed... AC Milan, two Champions League titles, PSG, league titles in France, Chelsea, a double in England, then goes off to Real Madrid, OK, Napoli, it was a bit of a strange one, but a club with ambitions, Everton, yes, they're ambitious, but they're going to batter off another six or seven clubs who also have probably grander ambitions than them. It just seems all a bit bizarre. It was the kind of talk of the conference today, in actual fact, that you had rewound 12 months ago and said to someone, right, Mikel Arteta and Carlo Ancelotti are up for grabs and Everton and Arsenal are looking for managers. You would have polled 100 people in that room and I guarantee 100 people would have said, yeah, OK, this makes sense. Ancelotti to Arsenal. Arteta, young manager, starting out. Yeah, he'll go back to his former club, Everton. It's role reversal. Now, don't get me wrong, and any Everton fans listening, I applaud it, the ambition that you've shown. And one or two Everton fans might disagree and say, well, wait a minute, I, I'm not a fan or uh, she's not a fan of, of Angelotti as Everton boss, but I think it smacks of that ambition. It's what it's just it does. one I want to say, throw in, and just on the back of that ambition, sorry, Archie, jumping in on there, but... Uh, Farhad Mashiri has yes. put a huge, huge amount of money into that club. Huge. Uh, his business partner uh, is, of course, Elisha Ushmanov. Yes. Who has sold his stake at Arsenal Football Club, but has remain remains to be a massive football fan. Don't think that he's going to stay out of the game far too long. Bill Kenwright is a great man to have at the helm. So that's why I sort of see the ambition there. I yeah. think they've got it wrong up until now in terms of getting that ambition into results, but. How do we do with that ambition? Okay, do we bring in a big name manager? I hope this inspires the team. Well, I, I love your thinking there, Tom. That is putting two and two together and perhaps spitting out four that Usmanov might just be uh, unbeknown to us investing some serious cash because clearly Carlo Angelotti, in conversations, clearly he's been paid a king's ransom and in the talks that he's had with the Everton board, he's been sold a dream. He signed a four and a half year deal for goodness sake. So he's clearly been sold something that perhaps we're not seeing. They're, they're looking to move into the new stadium, aren't they? And maybe, just maybe, and I love your thinking here, Tom, maybe there is far more money. There is a, a far deeper pockets than even we're thinking right now. They've, they've spent lavishly already. Gilfie Sigurdsson, Richarlson, Michael Keane. None of these guys were cheap. Moise Keane was a big money signing. So, whew, it's a scary prospect. It's an exciting one. If I'm an Everton fan and I look at my dugout and I've got Carlo Angelotti there, I am absolutely buzzing right now, for goodness sake. But let me just put it into perspective of exactly where Everton are at this. You know, we talk about them competing for a top six, a top seven position. They're 14th in the Premier League, 22 points, four points ahead of being in the relegation battle. So it would take Not a couple a bad place of, to be. Just careful though, Arch, because <laughs> I, would, I would counter that by saying they're two points behind Arsenal, okay? And they're only five, sorry, six points behind Manchester United. Now, that is where we're currently at. And, and I appreciate United and Arsenal have fallen way behind the, the Liverpools and, and Man Cities of this world, but that's the reality of the situation. Man, you look all right against the, the decent sides. They look ruddy awful against the terrible teams. If Everton put a run together, if Carlo comes in, and, and Tom, you're absolutely right, I fancied Everton to, to be yeah. definitely top eight, pushing top six this season. If he can put a run together, and Newcastle today's a good opportunity, he's gone really attacking. I'm a bit worried the balance of that side, but he knows better than I do. If they go up to Newcastle and get a result, momentum builds, new manager, the bounce back ability, I think Ian Dowie coined that phrase. All of a sudden, Everton are above Arsenal. 
Everton are closing in on Man United and then all of a sudden you never know a top 10 finish get a decent run in the FA Cup and all's well in the world because a club like Everton let's be frank about it if they were even let's say where are they now they're 14th I guarantee you Everton fans if you're listening I'll give you 14th in fact I'll give you 17th you stay up but you finish 17th but you win the FA Cup they'd bite your hand off for that they'd absolutely bite your hand off for that because a club like Everton yes they've got aspirations of top six but ultimately clubs of Everton Newcastle's ilk West Ham's ilk it should be trophies yeah. it should be staying in the division whether you're 17th or 12th does it really matter apart from cash win a cup for goodness sake I tell you what though it's got to be a tough time being an Everton fan at the moment with the success of Liverpool well, well, try and be a man. European, fan, Arch. I mean, European. Cheapers. Forget Europe, Everton for a second, I mean, my man. We're 10th. Ca- no, come, sorry, 8th. Come March, they're going to be Europe, reigning European champions yeah, still, and like, they're going to be Premier League champions yeah, yeah, at the same no. time. Cheers, Arch. Cheers for uh, Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more team news for you. Let's turn our attention to Southampton off the back of that famous victory uh, about 12 hours ago. Uh, they're taking on Crystal Palace. <laughs> You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Dubai Eye 103.8, obviously focusing on the action from the Premier League at the moment. But lest we forget, there is plenty of cricket ongoing at the moment. And uh, activity in the cricket. Mark Archer. Yeah, England have lost their first wicket. Just as I was saying, they had an outside chance in this match. They are chasing 376 for victory in the first Test match against South Africa over at Centurion in Pretoria. But they have lost their first wicket. Dominic Sibley has been dismissed. Caught and bowled Maharaj for 29, which means England are now 99 for 1. Um, their target is 376, so they're still in the game here. Uh, Rory Burns is 64. He's going really well, faced 88 deliveries. He's been joined at the cre- crease by Joe Dentley, who's on 1 at the moment. So England 99 for 1. Uh, their target is 376. They have two days and about 20 overs remaining today's play to try and chase those runs down. It'll be a fascinating two days uh, in the north part of Johannesburg, Tom. Uh, to the uh, Aussie and Kiwi cricket fans, we will, of course, give you a stumps report a little later on uh, on what has been a fascinating test match down uh, under. Let's get that a little later in proceedings. Uh, but let's turn our attention to the 7 o'clock. Why? Because we're uh, seven minutes away from the 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to go down to, um, I mentioned uh, Southampton Crystal Palace. We will get to that in a few moments' time. Uh, but in the meantime, we are going to go by way of Watford. It just makes sense to go Watford to Southampton, you know, if you know your roads around the UK that is Uh, so let's go to Watford they're taking on Aston Villa Uh, let's hear from uh, uh, Nigel Pearson uh, now if we can uh, because he believes that his team um, are frustrated and he thinks that is what is the problem uh, with uh, his Watford team at the moment that the players the squad is frustrated I think the players here are it's been frustrating for them more than anything I think that's the, the biggest thing that I've noticed that you know we do have very capable players here but they you know we've we've probably lacked a little bit of direction at times but it's important for us to really uh, be accountable for ourselves you know look at the end of the day we're in a, a difficult situation but we have to be able to keep our composure day to day and things will go against us at times this season but we've just got to make sure that we yeah stay composed and make sure that we do enough ourselves because it's you know it's always about how you contrib- contribute yourselves really and and I want us to have a very strong team ethic more than anything because it means that what that does it means that if we're having a bit of an off day the structure of the side can compensate for players making mistakes you know so I mean that's it sounds very simple but. Um, I suppose it's keep it simple. Simple is as simple does. Usually gets results as well. Is he the man to instil that team ethic? Well, I take you back to the season before Leicester won the league, Tom. It was he that it was uh, Nigel Pearson who masterminded the great escape. I think did they win nine of their last eleven or ten? Something ridiculous. And Claudio Ranieri, incidentally, came in in that summer and has gone on record as saying that didn't tweak that much just carried on the feeling of goodwill the the kind of momentum that Nigel built up I was sceptical of it because they'd gone down the route of Spanish coach, Spanish coach and then oh panic, Nigel Pearson comes in look at his results though more than matched Liverpool in the game that they lost, eventually lost 2-0 I think it was in his first game in charge but they had chances in that one they then beat Manchester United 2-0 2-0 and that's not saying much because a lot of the lesser lights are doing just that and I don't mean that disrespectfully when I call Watford a lesser light but certainly this season they're down in a, a dogfight, a relegation dogfight then they get a decent 1-1 draw at Sheffield United who on their own patch and this season are flying high so 4 points from 9 
an alright return, especially when you throw, throw in Liverpool, Man U and an away game to Sheffield United. This today though, Tom, is the proverbial six-pointer for me. Watford at home to Aston Villa. Watford starting the day 19th. Aston Villa five points ahead of them in 18th. Watford six points behind your beloved West Ham. It's already at the stage, I don't want to say must win, but it's a game today that I think Watford will have marked, or Nigel would have looked at the fixture list before he was handed the job and went, see that one there, I'll circle that one, that's a three-pointer. So I, I think I can see a Watford win, I really can. Aston Villa, they were a little fortunate to come away with a victory over Norwich. I'll give you the Watford team news. Ben Foster, arguably the best goalkeeper in the league this season, Ben Foster, has saved some of his saves he made against Aston Villa the other night. World class. He is a wonderful custodian. Back four of Mariapa, Cabaselli, Cathcart and Firmino. Midfield two of Etienne Kapuri and Will Hughes. Ismaili Sarr on the right, Gerard Delafau on the left, Abdullah Dukari. So Abdullah Dukari, Etienne Kapuri and Will Hughes. It's a good midfield three. Delafau and Sarr, they provide the width and the little bit of invention. And then Troy Deeney, the captain, the big man up top, he will lead the line. He's the battering ram that will look to give the Aston Villa backline an absolute torrid of a 90 minutes. Looking at that Watford side, I've got to say... I fancy them. It is Watford against a Villa. Uh, Villa in a spot of bother at the moment as well. Can they uh, pull uh, a much-needed win out of the hat? How have they gone for? Uh, let's get the latest. From yeah, Mark three Hogan. changes for the Aston Villa side that beat Norwich City 1-0 on Thursday. But they do linger down an 18th in the table. 18 points they've collected from 19 matches this season, halfway through the Premier League season. So they're very much in the relegation dogfight. Uh, but I can tell you their starting lineup today is Heaton in goal. Back four of Target, House, Nagoyo and El Mahadi. Uh, midfield three, Hurahan, Louise and Lansbury. And Jack Grealish, who's been impressive this season, uh, on the left-hand side. Jota, their summer signing on the right. And up front is uh, Wesley. Um, I mean, Villa off the back of a win, uh, so they're going the right direction. Not every team in the league can uh, no. talk about that at the moment, but uh, important they build on that win. I mean, it was again, it wasn't a great game, but they were the better of the two teams. Well, Norwich gave them problems, Tom. They probably just about edged it, in truth. I mean, of course they did. They scored the goal. Norwich didn't. They came away with the three points. Interesting today, though, Dean Smith has really shuffled his pack. Yeah. I'll look at the back four. El Hamadi, Ezri Konsa, who is a young raw centre-half. He's a alongside House and then Matt Target who okay has probably been Aston Villa's best left back that's a lot of changes in there if you were to give me a choice it would be Tyrone Mings would certainly start in at centre half you've got uh, Gilbert who's been brilliant at right back you've got uh, Engels who's pro uh, has been Mings' regular centre half painting so looking at the back four certainly I mean Tom Heaton I'm a huge fan of Heaton but back four wise that's three changes in that look at the midfield three Henry Lansbury's come in Douglas Luis has come in Connor Hurahan Dean Smith's a huge fan. He's the terrier in there. And then it's a change. Jack Grealish, OK, yes. Wesley, yes. Jota comes in today. So they've made a lot of change. I'm a bit surprised at that. Obviously, they come thick and fast. Watford, Nigel Pearson set his stall out. He's named his best 11. He's went, go again, guys. Give it to, you know, you've got to give me 100% here. If you pick up three points today, Villa and a spot of bother and Watford very much looking up. Uh, what can uh, they take away from that win last time out? Uh, let's hear from the Villa keeper, Tom Heaton. What did that win mean? You know, we've been on a tough little run and in the Premier League it, it's difficult. You know, you can uh, if you're not careful, you need to keep, keep getting the basics right. I think that hard work, that competitiveness, that desire um, was a foundation we needed to build on today. I thought it was there in the first half. We've been a little bit lacking on that, if I'm honest, I think, in the last few games. That was the basis for the, for the result today. I know Norwich were a decent side, um, played some good stuff in the first half, but felt comfortable in what we were, what we were doing. Um, a few tactical tweaks at half-time and thankfully we've come away with a, a great win and a, and a top clean sheet. They really charged at you early on in that second half. A vital save from you from Tribal and how about that from Douglas Louise? What a clearance. Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, bodies on the line. Um, it's it's, gonna, it's what it's going to take. You know, I think bodies on the line, um, people getting in the way of things, that competitiveness. Um, I thought the two centre-halves today, blocking, uh, heading, especially at the end there with the centre-halves, Grant Hanley comes up, not easy to deal with, you know, two minutes left to play in the game. I thought the two of them were outstanding today, um, dealing with Pookie up front, who's, a, who's an awkward customer, who's always playing off that shoulder. Um, so yeah, I was, I was really impressed by them two today, I thought the whole team defended well and, and certainly a lot of desire to, uh, to play for the shirt in there today. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.